make me a blessing. Let's stand and do it. problems. They were almost dancing, and they were having fun. We're in church. Uh, uh, how you do that? That's awesome. Romans 15, 13 says, now may, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are so blessed to come together this morning. We thank you for that opportunity. We thank you that we can gather with joy and not with sorrow. And Father, as we're here this morning, I pray that we can just place our focus on you, our heart on you, and that we can worship you, and that we can learn, and we can grow, and help encourage one another. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody today. We're glad that you're here to worship with us today. It's good to be home. This morning, we're going to lift up Christ together. Make sure that you fill out your connection card for us. If you're watching online, we ask that you do the same. There's a little number across the bottom of the screen. And at this time, we want to turn things back to the praise team. We're going to continue lifting up the Lord in song today together. You may be seated. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall make it sign of the gates of life. In the way of the cross I miss The way of the cross leads home The way of the cross leads home It is sweet to know as I onward go The way of the cross leads Sweet. 
continue our series on the book of Ephesians and as we've been going through this study when you go through a study of a book there's so many different ways you can do it so many different angles that you can hit it from but what we're doing in this study is we're looking at the church of Ephesus and examining the impact that this church had on the world at the time that it was a church that had a significant impact they weren't just a country club they weren't just a boys club or whatever they were there to make a difference <clears throat> now this series is not just about being an impactful church or a church that makes a difference for Jesus. But it runs much deeper than that because for those things to happen, we have to be people of impact. We have to be people that when we tell them about Jesus and we share the gospel, that they don't look at us, kind of give us that side-eye look and say, yeah, right. Yeah, I see how you live. I see how you treat your wife. I see how you treat your husband. I see how you treat those in your church family. See, when those things aren't right, the message we have doesn't make a difference. God is calling us to make a difference in the world. He doesn't just call us to come to church. He doesn't cause, just call us to pray. He doesn't just call us to have dinners together. But he calls us to come together. But he calls us to make a difference in the lives of the, in the world that we influence. We're called to influence as many people as we can for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have talked about many things that go in to being a church and people who can make an impact on the lives around us. Our church places a great deal of emphasis on what we teach, and we should, because that's one of the core things that we do. But today's message is something that if we don't grasp individually, honestly, what we teach won't matter, because people won't listen to what we have to say. They will look at the lives that we live, they will look at the way we deal with relationships that we have. If we live a life that does not match the magnificent, glorious message that we preach and teach, the message will fall on deaf ears. Today we're going to examine how our faith should impact our relationships. Two areas in particular from the text that we're going to examine this morning that we're going to dig into is, first of all, the church family, and then secondly, how's my relationship to be with, a, with, a spat, with our spouses? How are they supposed to be? The church in your home should reflect the faith that you have in Jesus. Because if it doesn't, it's going to negatively impact our witness and our ability to influence people for Christ. If, you're, if the faith you have in, excuse me, your witness will be impacted if the husband-wife relationship is messed up and riddled with issues. If your relationship with those in your church family or those with your spouse is not good, or if your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, or your spouse is aired out publicly, your witness and the witness of the church will be negatively impacted. I've seen couples before that would go at each other, and then you'd, they'd put it out on Facebook, and it's like, hey, this is a soap opera. You know, the Real Housewives of Sierra Vista. Let's check this out. I mean, and the same things happen in the church. Somebody have a problem with somebody in church, and they'll put it out there publicly. And that's damaging to them, to the people they're doing it to, and to the kingdom of God. See, for your earthly relationships to be on good terms, here's one thing that has to happen. Your relationship with God has to be healthy. If your relationship with God isn't healthy, you will always struggle with your earthly relationships because your relationship with Christ is the, if you will, it's the linchpin from which everything else hangs on to. For instance, a lot of times we get upset with one another within the family and within the church family 
Because maybe I don't get my way, or maybe I didn't get something the way I wanted it, and then we get really upset because we think that we're being cheated in some way. Well, if you have a healthy relationship with God, one of the things that you'll know is that God, is, God will be there. If, if you need what you need, God will take care of it. You don't have to worry about how other people deal with it. You know, I see a lot of marriage relationships that struggle, and it usually starts out with, I'll do 10 things for her, she does 10 things for me. Well, then one day I notice she's only doing eight things for me. Well, I'm not doing 10. She ain't getting over on me. I'm going to do six. And then she's like, wait, whoa, 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 what's up with this? I'm going to go down to four. And then he's like, well, this is a raw deal. I'm going down to two. And then she says, well, you're going to do that. I'm going to go down to zero. And he says, well, I'm going to go down to negative two. You know? <laughs> and then it just keeps descending because when somebody doesn't get what they think they want, the resort is to do less, to be angry, to go at each other. But as a Christian, how is that supposed to look? Let's, let's jump into the text. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. We'll start in verses 19 to 21. It says this. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So our first observation is the Christian friend. I couldn't think of a better way to word that. I didn't, wasn't real happy with it. But basically, how is my faith supposed to impact my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ? When I gave my life to Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, and when we place our faith in him, and we're baptized into Christ, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that look like? Because we have a picture of what it looks like, but what does it really look like? What's it, what is it supposed to look like? When I'm baptized into Christ, the Bible tells me I'm a new creation. When you're baptized into Christ, you're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 5.17. Being in Christ means part of that new creation is that in my relationships, I have to look at people differently than I used to look at them. The dynamics of my relationship have to reflect who I am in Christ. Does that make sense? As a Christian husband, my relationship with my wife has to reflect who I am in Christ. As your brother and sister, as your brother, I'm not a sister, I don't identify like that today, but as your brother in Christ, my relationship with you should reflect who I am in Christ. See, I can't disassociate my relationships from my faith, but many people do, and it's a bad witness. You can't do that. What we tend to do in life is we tend to value things over people, and we tend to bulldoze over people to get what we want when we want it, even within the church. We get mad at folks who don't give us what we want. We, don't, we get mad at folks who don't give it to us the way we want it or when we want it or how we want it done, and then we lash out. Now, before we dive into verses 19 through 21, and I did this on purpose, we need to go back to verse 18. Verse 18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, and here's the key, but be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. This whole section that we're looking at, starting at verse 19, is a reflection of what it means to be filled by the Spirit. The whole passage that we're looking at within the church family, within the husband-wife relationship, is anchored to this verse. As Christians, when, you, when you're baptized into Christ, you, you've given the full measure of the Holy Spirit, okay? But then our life is about allowing the Spirit to fill us each and every day. I could have brought, I could have brought an object lesson where if you take a glass and put rocks in it, you know, you can only put so much water in it, but then you got to take the rocks out and you can fill it up with more. See, your life is like a glass. The question is, what are you filling it with? Are you filling it with the Spirit? Or are you filling it with my wants, my desires, my needs, my opinions, my values, me, 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 me? Are you putting the rocks of yourself in that glass instead of being filled with the water of the Spirit? See, as Christians, we're called to continually allow that to happen. Being filled with the Spirit is allowing the Spirit to guide and work in the depths of our soul with the sole purpose of making us more Christ-like. Because as Christians, as Christ followers, that's our ultimate goal. That's what it should be. 
And so whenever I live my life, my goal should be to be like Christ. But you see, if I'm so full of myself in my glass and I don't have much room for the Spirit, you can see what happens. Or if I'm half me and half the Spirit or three-quarters me, which most of the time it's like 90% me and 10% Spirit, just enough Spirit to get me by on the curve, (laughs) then it's not going to work. Let me ask you a question. As a proclaimed Christ follower, okay, when you look at Jesus, who's supposed to be our example, remember we're Christ followers, correct? Disciples of Jesus. How did Jesus deal with people who mistreated him? How did Jesus, did Jesus mistreat people himself over real or even perceived injustices? Did Jesus ever, did Jesus do that? Now, the religious leaders, he was hard on them because they were a special breed of messed up and they should have known better. But when he dealt with people, what did he do when he hung on the cross? Have any of you been put on a cross? I crack up when, oh, this is my cross to bear. You have no idea. You have no idea. When Jesus was put on the cross, what did he do? Did he yell at them? Did he scream at them? Did he curse at them? Did he blast them? Did he go on social media and talk about how horrible they were and what liars they were and what low lives they were? Did he do any of that? Was Jesus continually offended and have his feelings hurt? And then because of that, he'd act nasty to people? Did he do that? Did Jesus storm off in fits of anger every time he didn't get his way? When people, you know, he's preaching this sermon or even at the, at the ascension, you know, when he, in, in Matthew, the Bible says there that some didn't believe. You're like, wow. What did he do about that? I mean, when he raised people from the dead and he healed people, don't you think the appropriate response was, I'm about down to this dude, What did he do when that didn't happen? Because that's what should have happened, right? Don't you agree that should have happened? So did he point out people and yell at them and scream at them? No, he didn't. When Jesus looked down at Jerusalem, the city where he would be rejected, where he would be crucified, did he look down on them with hatred, knowing how he would be treated? No, he hurt for them. He still loved them. He still loved them. What does that tell me? What does that tell you about about the relationships we should have with those within within the body of Christ? Even when we're wronged, even when we're hurt, even when we don't get our way. See, as Christ's followers, my relationship with you and your relationship with me and our relationship with each other has to show who we belong to. See, in verses 19 through 21, Paul's going to list five, he uses five participles to give us five actions that those who are filled with the Spirit will do instead of being filled with themselves. Verse 19, he says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and, hymns and spiritual songs. In verse 19, the, second, the, the, the next two, singing and making music in our hearts to the Lord. Verse 20, always giving thanks for the things in the name of Jesus. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The three actions in verse 19, when you read it, are usually a lot of times people will just pin that on, on the public worship. Oh, when you're singing, you're supposed to be making a melody to you, the Lord. You know, and of course, I use that as an excuse because I don't want to run people off with my voice, so I make a melody in my heart. I'm singing to God maybe when I'm not always trying to yell out loud. But anyway, and that is partly true about this passage. It, there, it, it, it does deal with the public worship in a sense. But when you dig into the original text, what you find is the phrasing also denotes that these actions should be employed in our private, in our relationships. Now, this doesn't mean, thank God, that life's a musical. That would be horrible, singing every single. I watched a movie, I call it Less Miserables, but man, they sang every stinking line of the movie. I'm like, oh, that just drove me nuts. So I'm glad that that's not the case. Hello, you know, I'm glad to see you today, you know. Oh, my, that drive me nuts. Yeah, it would be horrible. But what these, the actions of these passages, when it talks about doing this, singing, making psalms, and it's talking about, I won't break all that down in this message. We'll do that another time. But these actions of the passage go to attitude. Go to attitude. When we're speaking with one another, 
You realize when you talk with somebody, the attitude at which you come to them with will dictate how you deal with them? In other words, if I'm mad at you, I'm probably going to deal with you a little bit differently than if I'm coming at you with some joy in my heart. That makes sense? And so what this passage is saying is in my private life, in my relationship, when I'm dealing with my church family, I need to come with you with a heart of joy. Even when things aren't right. Because have you ever been mad and said something you shouldn't have? I'm glad I never have. When you're filled with the Spirit, your heart is so full of Jesus, it's hard not to be joyful. In Colossians 3.16, the parallel passage of this, it tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now look, look at the context he's putting it in. Teaching, exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts to God. See, the thought of singing doesn't just refer to the worship service. It's an attitude of heart that reflects all that you do. Verse 21 is the key to dealing with our church family, but it will also affect our relationships in our, in our, in our, in our homes also. Verse 21 tells us this, and he finishes that by saying, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now notice that verse 21 starts with the word and. So what that's telling us is that basically verses 19, excuse me, that verse 21 is the jelly to the peanut butter of verse 19 and 20. And it's also the peanut butter to the jelly of verses, the, the verses ahead of it when he talks about husband-wife relationships. Many commentators struggle with this. They say, well, does this submitting to one another just mean in the marriage relationship? I don't believe that. It ties, it says, do this and submit to one another. And I think it goes both ways. Now, many people hate with a passion the thought of submission man you start telling and we'll talk about this unfortunately in the husband wife relationship that's difficult enough but within the church family wait a minute we got to submit to one another wait aren't i supposed to be able to get my way when i want it how i want it and you're supposed to do whatever i ask you to do and tell you to do no we're not a cult it doesn't work that way but see we're called to submit to one another in the context of marriage that we'll look at in a minute, this concept that's when it's not followed has ruined many marriages. Now, they may stay married, but I'm telling you one thing, one person in that relationship at least is miserable. Submission is not a one-way street. You notice verse 21, it tells us submitting to one another. Why? Out of reverent fear for Christ. Each one of us is called to submit in, uh, in areas indicated by one's abilities responsibility and position and so there's different ways within the church body we're called to submit to one another when somebody has a position that requires you to, to to listen to them or when they have a responsibility for an area that if it goes wrong they're the one who's going to get hung out to dry or when they have the abilities that maybe you don't have you need to defer to what they have to offer christians are called to be submissive to the civil authorities in romans 13 to church leaders in Hebrews 13, 17, we're called to be submissive to our parents in Colossians 3, 20. And this passage says we're to be submitting to one another. The whole structure of the church, as well as society, is ordered by God depends on the readiness of its members to recognize such deference. In other words, when we come together as a church body and nobody wants to submit to one another, we're going to have chaos. We're seeing this in our society, aren't we? where nobody wants to submit to authority. Authority is, is stepping, overstepping what they're supposed to be doing, and we have chaos. Just imagine within the church, I'm not going to submit to those elders. They ain't telling me what to do. Or that preacher, who's he? Or that, or that person who's leading our worship team, or the person who's leading our communion prep team, or the person, you know, I'm not submitting to them. I'm doing it how I want to, you know? And many times, we fought this at the shelter a few times where people, I'm going to do it the way I want to. No, you're not. See you later. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. But see, imagine the chaos if we aren't willing to submit to each other. Many issues arise in the church when people refuse to be submissive to those who have position, responsibility, or more ability than they do. They dig in. When we have a proper attitude and heart, yeah, we're going to have some disputes. It's always going to happen. No matter, you're, you put two people in a the room, there's always going to be a little something going on. But here's the thing, they won't be destructive. For instance, the Apostle Paul he did not like John Mark for the longest time. He thought little Marky went home, John Mark went home like a crybaby on one of the missionary journeys, and he wanted nothing to do with him. And Barnabas is like, hey, you know, he's a great guy. You, you take him then. I don't want him. 
But then later on, we find that John, Mark, and Paul, or Paul actually, reconciled with him and said, hey, bring John Mark with you. I like that guy. So see, they had a dispute, but it wasn't destructive. It wasn't destructive. Let's look at verses 22 to 24. <laughs> Let me duck down so I don't get anything thrown at me on this one. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands. This is the Bible, remember. This isn't me. Uh, th this is not bulletproof, is it? Security, keep an eye on me, please. <laughs> wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the uh, husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, he himself being uh, savior of the body. i got to poke up a little bit more. But as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands <laughs> in everything. <laughs> is it safe? Okay. Man, when I was young, I tore this passage up. I can't believe my wife let me live after some of the stuff I did with this one. The Christian wife. All right, now we're moving into the home. How should faith impact a wife in her relationship to her husband? Remember, as a Christ follower, as a wife, what, do we call, what are you called to do? Here are some... Here's some things that we need to understand before we jump into this passage. First of all, the biblical concept of submission is not a forced submission, where I grab my wife by the, by the, by the back of her hair and say, hey, you're going to do this, woman. You're going to buy me some guns this week. No, I probably don't want that. She might use them on me. Um, submission is voluntary. See, you don't have to submit to God. You don't have to, but there's consequences. Wives, you don't have to submit to your husband's but there's consequences. There'll be a price to pay in the relationship for not being willing to do so. Now, don't tune me out until we get to the guys because actually there's five verses for guys, only three for the ladies. So, <laughs> Submission to the husband does not make you inferior in any way to him. Now, some knucklehead Neanderthal men think that. Well, if you're, most of you guys are married, but I would tell any of the single people, if you're with a dude who doesn't respect you, you need to run. He's so hot. Who cares? He makes a lot of money. Who cares? You'll be miserable. See, submission on the part of the wife is about being obedient to Jesus. This is what God wants. See, if you're a female with the attitude, well, I'm never going to be submissive to any man, do yourself a favor and men around the world a favor and stay single because you're going to destroy another human being with that kind of heart. Submission doesn't mean blight obedience. Woman, I want a new truck. Go rob the bank in the name of Jesus. That, that's, that's stupid. Obedience, it's centered on being obedient to Christ. It implies a voluntarily giving up the self-centered interests and agendas for the well-being of the other person. Submission doesn't mean you're a doormat. Well, woman, I said it, we're doing it. No, it doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, a smart man will listen to his wife, by the way. <laughs> and I don't know if we have any in here in this service. I know we have some in the next service. Single ladies, you need to hear me on this. Please, if you're with a man that you don't trust enough that you can submit to his authority in marriage, you are not with the right man, Period. If the man you're with, you cannot say, you can't look at this man, yeah, no, I can support his authority because we're going to talk about why you should be able to do that. If you can't do that, you need to run. But you don't understand, he's hot. <laughs> if you marry him and you can't trust that he always has your best interests in mind, you need to run. If you marry him, it will destroy both of you. Oh, you may stay married, but your man will be emasculated and you'll be miserable because you're taking on responsibilities that he should be doing. Now, in our next section of the passage, we're going to see what you should be looking for in a Christian man, and uh, those of us who are Christian men and husbands, what we should be doing because, well, we'll talk about it in a minute. Paul also offers the motivation for the wife in choosing to be submissive to her husband. Now, lest I forget, this command is not, as a wife, you're not submissive to every man on the planet, to your own husband. Verse 23 gives the motivation. Because the husband is ahead of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. 
See, the appeal from Paul to wives is you treat your husband the way Jesus would. You treat your husband, you do this because this is what God says. And we go back to the fall, and I've always, I don't understand why being, you know, being desiring your husband is a part of the curse. I think that'd be a blessing personally, but you know. But I mean, this goes way back. And so Paul says, now, be submissive to your husband. Now, the husband's not on the same level with Jesus, but the wife is called to do this because Jesus asked them to. And I know what you're thinking. Hey, you don't know my husband. You're right, I don't. But what I do know is he's not perfect. Now, you got a husband beating on you. You need, to, you need to deal with that. You need to get away from that. But how perfect does he have to be before you're willing to be submissive? Has he got to be Jesus? Because if you're waiting for that, it's never going to happen. And then I'll ask you, why won't you be submissive to your husband? Is it that you know better than he does? Is it pride? Could it be your husband's not the spiritual head of the household, which I understand. He's advocating his position. The way I see it for the wife, making the choice to be submissive to her husband puts her in a very, very vulnerable position. Very vulnerable. But you have to trust that he will not take advantage of that. And one of the problems that we have in marriages today, a lot of them, is unfortunately too many men have taken advantage of that. And so it's understandable why it's hard to say, well, he's run over me at every step of the way. He's not doing what God taught him to do, and we'll look at that right now. But as, the, as a Christian woman, your, your, your God-given role in the house is to be submissive to your husband. He's not a doormat. You're not, he's not better than you. But when push comes to shove and decisions have to be made, your husband should be heading your house. And I've seen so many, even Christian marriages, where that just isn't the way it works. The wife has taken their man and emasculated him at some point, and he's just a shell of himself. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And it's, it's, your man's miserable. And you probably are, too, from taking a role that God didn't call you to do. Let's look at verses 25 to 30. It says this. Ah, I can stand up on this one. <laughs> Guys aren't going to shoot me. <laughs> Husband, love your wives as Christ, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We could just stop there if we wanted to. To sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word, so that he may present the church to himself as, a glor as glorious, not having a stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own body, but feeds it, takes care of it, just like Christ does for the church because we are members of his body. So now we go to the Christian husband. As I said earlier, in the marriage relationship, a wife puts herself in a potentially vulnerable position, and that would be, admittedly, that would be difficult. However, the husband is placed in a position of great responsibility before God. Before God. Husbands will be held accountable for their home. As a Christian man, if my wife can't or won't be submissive to me, God's going to ask me why. Well, I mean, God, I played video games all the time, and she, well, she was working, and you know, I bought everything I wanted, and I took vacations on our anniversaries and things without her because I was going to go hunting, you know, and... Uh, I, I basically, you know, the church thing was for her and the kids. I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to be accountable for my home. How do we ensure that our wives don't fear being taken advantage of at home? And if you're in that position as a wife, I understand why it's hard. It would be very hard to do what God's called you to do. But your husband's going to be accountable for that. How do we make it easier for the wife to carry out her part in the marriage? Simple. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. You have to have that type of love for her that always leads you to doing what is spiritually best for her. That word love's agape. It means to do what's spiritually best. So in other words, I wouldn't go, hey honey, go get me some crack cocaine and let's go rob a bank. Okay, that's not spiritually best for her. That's an extreme example. But as a husband, I won't lead her down the path of unrighteousness. You know, when you read the rest of that passage, he's, Jesus is trying to present that church without spot or wrinkle, perfect before him. And so my goal as a Christian husband is to make sure my decisions 
Help her in that, way, in that way. Lead her down that path and not down the path of destruction. We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He died on the cross for it. He went to the cross. He sacrificed himself. He fervently threw himself in front of the bus to save our life. See, my wife will have zero problem being submissive to me unless she has the spiritual problem of pride if she knows, without a doubt, I love her in that manner. If she won't be submissive to me and I'm doing that, she's going to be answerable to God for that. Does that make sense? I got a great responsibility in the home. Sometimes I wish it was just the other way around and I could just be the submissive part. But I'm going to stand before God and he's going, to, he's going to call me to an account. And Christian husbands, you will stand before God and be called to account for how you manage your home. It's a great responsibility. If she knows I will provide... I will protect her. Generally, with every, every decision I make, I've made some bad ones in the past for stupidity. But if my heart is, she knows my heart's where it's supposed to be. With the best of my ability, if I'm trying to do what's spiritually best for her, why would she have a problem submitting to my authority in the home? If I have a wife who's not submissive to me, maybe I need to look in the mirror and see, am I the problem? Far too many modern men act like selfish little kids. They get married because they've got a built-in cook, a built-in maid, and a built-in physical gratification toy. And that's as far as they take it. I don't want to stand before God with that. I've always said my prayer in my own home is that the day I die, if she's alive still, which she probably will statistically, although she married me a little younger, but I don't think it's going to work that way. I want her to say, man, he, he loved me like Christ loved the church. And if I've done that, I've, I've succeeded. Men, do you want your wives to respect you? Then you take care of their needs. You, t you love them like Christ loved the church. Love her the way God commands you and expects you. It's not just, well, I, God said, I hope you love your wife. That Nope. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a command. Men, do you feel your wife doesn't respect you? Act and live respectfully. Does she question all your decisions? Oh, maybe you need to make some better ones. I need to make sure that she sees that I love her like Christ loved the church. And I guarantee if you're in that position, unless your, your wife has a spiritual problem, you're going to have a great marriage. Single guys, you need to hear me on this. I know we got a couple in here, I think. If you're with a woman that you can't love her in that manner, no matter how hot she is, that's not the woman for you. If you can't say, I would die for that woman, I would sacrifice for that woman, I would give up everything for that woman. If my, that woman, if she were a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, I will be there with her till the day she dies. I will take care of her. I will love her. I will nurture her. If that's, you can't do that, you're with the wrong person. You need to run. You need to run. Men, are you having issues at home with your wife? I can tell you many times it's because of our lack of leadership, our lack of responsibility. You know, I always tell people in ministry that every organization, every group, when you get more than two or a couple people together, there's always going to be a leader. And if there's not leadership, somebody will fill that leadership vacuum, and you may not like what you get. So when you're a leader, lead. Husbands, if you don't, if you don't want your wives to lead your home, you need to lead it. If you've been at it for a long time, that's going to be a little difficult. But many times this happens when the husband is not doing what he's called to do. And I, I hit the husbands hard on this because we need to be hit hard on this. Um, we do. There's some exceptions. Sometimes you've married an obstinate person who's never going to do what you want to do, and you just got to pray for them and keep being the example. But for husbands, it's time to grow up and to love our wives so that they can trust that we have their best interests at heart. Husbands and wives are extensions of each other. The husband is to love the wife like he loves his own flesh, according to verse 28 31. Our faith, if it's going to have an impact, needs to impact our relationships. I've seen far too many Christian marriage relationships destroyed, even if they're together by, number one, unloving husbands, Number two, wives who just says, I'm not going to submit to no man, and they took the reins and took the man's masculinity from him. I've seen church witnesses hurt by people unwilling to be submissive to one another, be submissive to authority. 
First, excuse me, Ephesians 5.33 sums it up for the husband-wife relationship. Nevertheless, each one of you must also love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When that dynamic doesn't happen, you don't have a marriage. You have an existence. If you want to have a marriage, wives are, it's interesting that wives are never told except one place to love your husbands, and that's where older women are supposed to teach the younger women how to do it. Wives are always told, love your wife, love your wife, love your wife, love your wife. Because to men, respect is akin to love. If a person, if my wife doesn't respect me, in my eyes, she can't love me because those things tie together. The main job of the husband is to love his wife. The main job of the wife is to respect her husband. The wife who doesn't respect her husband will never be submissive to him. So our application point this morning, our question is this. Do your relationships reflect the faith that you have in God? Because they're supposed to. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we give you the opportunity to do that this morning. We have an amazing God who's done amazing things. And one of the things that I'm so thankful for is when he was watching Adam kind of getting all lonely and bored, that he took the rib from his front that holds his belly in, and he made Eve. And then we have the husband-wife relationship. I'm thankful that God created us this way. But this morning, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. If you, need to, uh, if you want to offer up prayers to the Lord and you need prayer, come forward. Myself or Roger will be glad to pray with you. If you are a, a, an immersed believer and want to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. But right now, we're going to stand together and sing a song of decision. And if you have a decision to make for Christ, we invite you to come forward this morning.
this to sound political in any way, but I think most of us are aware of the news item and the picture this week that told of President Biden's stumble and fall while after speaking with the graduating class at the Air Force Academy. The older I get, the more apt I find myself of doing the same thing, stumbling may be falling. James 2.3 tells us, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the words he speaks, he's a perfect man. After Jesus and his disciples partook of the loaf and the cup at the uh, last supper with them, they sang a hymn together. As they departed, Jesus detained them to give them one last warning. He said, you will all fall away. When the shepherd is stricken, the sheep will be scattered. Peter replied, these others maybe, but not me. Peter, you will stumble and you will fall three times before tomorrow's dawn. We all stumble and fall. It's good for us to remember these words, especially, I think, as we come to the communion table and participate in the communion service. Throughout the past week, we all have stumbled and fallen. We need continued forgiveness. We need to come to the table in a spirit of repentance humbly seeking that forgiveness that can only come through the precious blood of Jesus. It's available. All we have to do is ask. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There, a precious fountain, free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we've stumbled and even fallen. We need your hand of strength as we are faced with temptations, whatever they might be. Lift us up. Keep us steady on our feet as we face our fallen world each day. We come now to remember Jesus' warning that we shall stumble. Lift us up. Guide us. Help us. And most of all, continue to cleanse us 
with Jesus' precious blood. In his name, amen. On the inside of your bulletin, we have our, our uh, announcements for this week. Uh, there will be no high school or elementary crew stuff this evening uh, because high school church camp begins today. And so Jerry and the crew will be gone. Pray that they have a safe trip and that everybody comes back the way they left as far as physically and spiritually that they have changed. Uh, we have Stitches of Love Monday, LOLs meeting Tuesday. We do not have any teen Bible study till July. The adults will be, in our, will be studying Saturday. See the announcement about the Spa Plus. Make sure if you're going to be here for that, you, you do. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going up Mount Lemmon and having a good time with that. Uh, Sunshine Ladies are meeting Saturday at Culver's. And we see Operation Christmas Child still looking for donations. And you can see those in your bulletin. And Peaches Pantry, as we've said, we're not taking any more food donations till after, uh, or after May 11th, which is just passed uh, a few weeks ago until they get to in their new position. I think that's all of the... Uh, I think that's... Oh... Jules is here. Hey, Jules. Snuck in on me. All right. Ooh, that is so good. Um, <laughs> as Jeff, as just, uh, Jeff said, that we have, um, well, he didn't actually hype it up like I'm going to hype it up. So let me tell you what it is. <laughs> So, um, this is the first time that we're actually doing a Spa Plus. What is Spa Plus? Well, it's new. So, um, what it is is we would absolutely love to invite your whole entire family or if there's a friend. Um, we normally do spa things for women, but this is that time. Uh, Rusty's not here. You guys don't see the animosity that we have <laughs> for each other on second service, but um, he really would like to be invited, and so we invited him, and we thought, well, we'll invite the rest of the congregation, too. No, that's not how it worked, but <laughs> this is a time. Um, if you aren't into hiking, that's okay. This is just a time to go up Mount Lemmon. Um, there are so many people that reached out to us and let us know that they've never been up to Mount Lemmon, just in passing. And we thought, this would be a great time to go up Mount Lemmon as a group. So we are going to meet in the parking lot at 845. We're going to depart at 9 
Um, we're going to regroup. If there's somebody in Tucson that you want to invite, we're going to regroup at the bottom of Mount Lemmon before we go up. Um, there's a I think it's a safe way at the bottom right there. Um, we're going to meet right there. I have a flyer that has all the information. Uh, Robin or myself would love to give you one if you need a reminder like I need, because let me tell you, if it's not on my calendar, I will forget. But this is that time that we can just go up there and enjoy God's beauty. Um, as you go up, I don't know if you guys, how many of you gone up Mount Lemmon before? Okay, quite a few. So as you know, when you go up the mountain, the terrain changes. And when you get all the way to the top, there's these beautiful trees that we just don't have here in Sierra Vista. I would love to say that I could grow one, but it's just not gonna happen because we don't have the altitude. So this is that time to just see God's beauty. It is absolutely breathtaking if you just enjoy the views. It's not scary, the, the road is nice and wide. We'll take it nice and slow going up there. This is not like Jeff's off-roading thing. Um, this is nice and calm and serene. And if you want to carpool, we enjoy that. If you want a caravan, that is perfectly fine too. Go up there, have a picnic if you want to pack one. Or some of us are planning on eating up there at Summer Haven. Summer Haven? Summer Haven. <laughs> Jeff's going to have cookies. <laughs> um, but there is just a lot of beautiful things up there. And um, it is absolutely breathtaking. We're planning on going up there, and then if you want to enjoy Windy Point or anything else that you want to stop at, that's fine. If you've been up there, you understand that the parking is really tight at Windy Point, so that's why we're not making it a stop, but you can absolutely do it on your own leisure. Um, and if you're into hiking, go for it. I'm not so adventurous sometimes. <laughs> so this is more for the beauty and definitely the time with you guys. So I hope that you will ask questions and I hope that we will see you at 845 Saturday in this parking lot. Thank you. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. We call it we call it spam. <laughs> um on the back on the uh on your, in your bulletin, you see our prayer concerns and prayer celebration. You got to baptize Mark Shamoon this week into Christ, so that was really neat. We have a lot of people we've been praying for for health issues. We ask you to continue to lift them up in your prayers. We have troops who are deployed. Uh, please keep Bobby, uh, Frank's family in your prayers. They laid Kate to rest on Friday, or was it Friday? Thursday, yeah. My, my days are getting mixed up. Uh, lift up our shut-ins. Um, we pray for our outreach, which we're focusing on the Sierra Vista local schools. And then our mission that we've been focusing in this month, or that we'll be focusing on this month, is Boise Bible College. So this time, let's stand together. We'll go to the Lord, and I'll let you have a moment of silence, and then we'll go to we'll cl I'll close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to be together today. And Father, we have so many people that we've been praying for and so many things to give thanks for. Lord, we, you know what's in our hearts as we've lifted those things to you. Lord, I pray that as we live life this week, it's, that we live it with joy and with passion and with conviction. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a great week in the Lord, everybody.